right, if you would this morning, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And our kids can head out there with Miss Alexa or somebody. Miss Stacy, Miss Stacy, there we go. All right. I almost said Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we've been in Ephesians chapter 2, maybe a few months ago. Uh, but the reason Ephesians 2 was in my mind is because as we're singing that song, we are truly saved by grace and grace alone. Uh, if you don't know what that means this morning, it, it just simply means this. Uh, every other religion in the world says this. It says, do this, and you could fill in the blank with whatever it is they say to do. Do this work, and you will reach heaven. You will be right with God. Christianity is the only religion that says that God has done it all for you. Your salvation is a work of God's grace. So Ephesians 2, that's why it was in my mind. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift that God gives us, and we receive it by faith. If you don't know that this morning, I would encourage you to read Ephesians 2 or to come and, and talk with us. That's the only way that we can be made right with God. But this morning we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to continue there this morning beginning at uh, verse 15. Let's start at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We had a special speaker, a guest last week, and so we weren't in Ephesians, but the week before that, we considered this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw that really what that command means is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We see the opposition, the, the two things that are opposed here. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we noted how those two things, there's, there's somewhat of an analogy, uh, even though there, there are some definite distinctions and differences between the two, uh, that there is an analogy between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And, and the analogy is this, that there is something that fills you uh, that then begins to control your behavior. It begins to control the way that you act. Of course, we know when it comes to... Uh, drinking and, and becoming drunk with, with alcoholic beverages, whether it's wine or something else, that the, the behavior that it produces is not good behavior, right? That's why he says, therefore, do, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. What he's saying there is that when you get drunk with wine, it leads to this kind of Wicked behavior. That word debauchery is a word. Uh, it could be uh, translated. Sometimes it is dissipation. It's the idea of actions or behaviors that are wild, that are wasteful, that are undisciplined, that are without restraint, that are uncontrolled. 
Aristotle said of this word, he said, those who are guilty of this vice are those who waste their substance and are in a path of ruination of their lives. It's, it's wild and uncontrolled behavior that leads to your ruin. It leads to your destruction. This is the same word that's used of uh, the prodigal son when he takes his father's money. He says, I want my wealth now. I want my inheritance now. And it says he went out and he, he spent it in this kind of debauched life, in this kind of dissipation. In other words, he, he was uncontrolled and wild in, his, in the way that he was living, and he just his wealth just evaporated. It, it went away. It ended up in his ruin and his destruction. That's what is saying here. So that's, that's the kind of, of life uh, that drunkenness leads to. Drunkenness removes the, the restraint and self-control that most people have by God's common grace. Drunkenness causes us to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do, and usually for the worse. Uh, it's not a good thing. And so Proverbs talks about the, the one who's drunk, uh, and, and he wakes up, and, and he has wounds without cause. He wakes up and he's like, where, where did I get these bruises? Where did I, well, how did all this happen, right? Because, because he's acting in ways that are wild and uncontrolled and bring about his destruction. The, the drunk person says and does things uh, that bring about his own harm and harm of, of those around him. In that moment, the, the alcohol is controlling the person and not their own, their own will. And that's, that's, what the, that's what alcoholic beverages produce. So he says, don't get drunk with wine because it leads to that kind of uncontrolled, wild behavior that brings about your own destruction. In, a, in an analogous way, in a way that's somewhat related, he says, instead what you should do is be filled with the Spirit. And what we're going to see is that the Spirit produces, just in the same way that, that being drunk produces kind of bad behavior, the Spirit produces Good behavior, it, it produces uh, things that are pleasing to God. Paul is comparing these, these two things. He says, uh, John Piper says this about this command to be filled with the Spirit. He says, you get a glimpse of what being filled with the Holy Spirit is by comparison in verse 18 with being drunk. Don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Getting drunk with wine means being controlled by wine. It masters you and makes you feel and act in certain ways. So being filled in the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit so that you feel and act in certain ways. In this case, he says singing and a certain kind of singing, as we'll see in, in a minute. And so what we have here that follows this command, be filled with the Spirit, we have five participles, uh, five words that express what are the results what are the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit? What is it? What kind of behavior does the Holy Spirit produce in our lives? So, so wine leads to, and, and, and alcoholic beverages lead to dissipation or debauchery. It brings about that kind of behavior. Being filled with the Spirit produces another kind of behavior. And there are five characteristics here. We're going to run through them today, but we could just sum it up and say this primarily. It's praise. Being filled with the Spirit leads us to praise God. So look, look at these verses again. So don't, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now there are five 
participles. That has five words that end in ing that tell us what are the what are the results of being filled with the Spirit. So here we have this first one: addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here's the second one: singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here's the third one in verse 20, 20, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so these are the behaviors that result, uh, are the result of uh, being filled with the Spirit. So what does the Spirit produce in our lives? We could sum all that up and say this, the Spirit produces praise in our life when you're filled with the spirit one of the primary things that the spirit's going to produce in your life is a heart that wants you to praise the lord we know galatians talks about it produces other things the fruit of the spirit are love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness and self-control the the spirit produces all of those things in your life but here in this passage, it says that basically the Spirit of God, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're under the control of the Spirit, He will lead you to praise God. What we want to do this morning then is just look at this praise, look at the characteristics, because I think we see some, some characteristics uh, about this praise. What, what is this praise? What kind of praise are we to give to God if we're filled with the Spirit? Well, the first thing that we see is that the Spirit produces melodic praise. And uh, that's the best word that I could come up with. We just mean that, that it's singing. It's, it's singing. So there are different kinds of praise. Not, not all praise is singing. Sometimes we, we kind of think narrowly when we talk about praise and worship, and we just think, well, that just means singing. The way that you praise God is, is through singing. And, and that's not the case. There are other ways that we can praise God. We, we can praise God in prayer. That is speaking to God, whether it's out loud and verbally or just in our mind, mentally, we can praise the Lord in those ways. And, and that's a, a form of praise. We, we can praise the Lord through verbal testimony. It doesn't have to be a song. Uh, we can stand up and many times in, in churches, uh, they have times of testimony where someone will stand up and they say, I want to praise the Lord because this is what the Lord has done in my life. I was sick or this problem was in my life and God saved me, God delivered me. And so I want to offer praise. That's a verbal testimony. That's a verbal way to praise the Lord, but it doesn't involve Singing, that can be formal or informal, right? We can, we can do that in a congregation. We can have a time of testimony. And, and we see that uh, in, in the Bible. We see uh, in Psalm 22, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So, so it's right in the congregation to stand up and praise the Lord, but that can just simply be a verbal thing. But it can also just be informal. As we talk with one another, it doesn't have to be in a church building, in a gathering, in a service that we praise the Lord verbally. We, we can do that when we talk to our children or when we talk to one another. So in Psalm 145, 4, it says one generation will declare your works to the next generation and will proclaim your mighty acts. That's just speaking. That's just verbal. So there, there are different ways that we can praise God. And, and in fact, when we look to the New Testament, we can find that, that our entire life, as we live it for the Lord, can be an act of worship and praise to the Lord. It doesn't even have to be speaking at moments. 
Uh, it, it can just be the way that we live for the Lord. All that to say is that there are different ways that you can praise God. But listen, this morning, what this text calls us to is to praise him in song. That's what this text says. It says, if you're filled with the spirit, you will address one another. Do you see it? Address in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. So this is a specific kind of praise that we give to God, and it is with song. And so it is, it is right. There's, you know, there's something innate within us that leads us to want to sing. But when, when we want to extol the virtues of something that's good, when we want to praise the goodness of something, isn't it just a natural thing for, for most of us, I think, to just want to sing? This is why people write love songs. You fall in love, and what do you want to do? You want to sing about the one that you love, right? That's what, that's what we do. When we're at a sporting event and things are exciting, things are, are going well, what happens? People join in and they sing. Tennessee fans sing Rocky Top, right? Uh, they didn't sing that last night, did they? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, but, but Kentucky fans, if you've ever been to a game, what do you do at the end of the game? You sing my old Kentucky home, right? We join in song because we want to extol the virtues of this team that we are watching. We want to, to praise them. So it's just natural for us. When you, when you get some time off work and you're headed to the lake for a weekend, what do you do? You turn the radio on and you sing because you want to praise. You're, you're, you're excited for this time and you want to express that. It's natural for us. And the reason it's natural for us is that God created us to praise him. He created us to worship him. And specifically, he created us as beings who love to sing and to worship him in that way. And that is what we are commanded to do here. God made us so that when our hearts delight in something, we want to lift our voices and sing. And you look throughout the Bible, I mean, there, we could give you a list 10 pages long of commands to sing to the Lord. There's Psalm 911, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Psalm 33, shout to the Lord uh, for joy, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. That's an instrument that they had. Make melody to him with the harp of 10 strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shout. So not only not only with our voices, but here we have a command even to play instruments in praising the Lord. Psalm 95, 1, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Brother Ray read this morning in our, our call to worship, Psalm 47, which in one verse, I think it says five or six times, sing, sing, sing. We are commanded as God's people to sing to him. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will do that. You will have that desire to praise him. Now, there might be some objections or barriers, I think, sometimes, because when I look around, I don't look around very often, but, but when I'm looking around, sometimes I see people that don't sing. As we're singing together as a congregation, I, I see people that aren't singing, and I, I think there must be some barriers uh, that, that prohibit or that keep people from wanting to sing. So I'm thinking, what, what is it that's going on in their mind? One, I think, could be natural ability, or we might say natural inability, right? 
I was wounded very deeply a couple years ago when, when Bobby told me that I was tone deaf, at least a little bit. Uh, but he did tell me that. We used to have Sunday night services, and, and I would be leading the, the singing, and we'd sing hymns, and Bonnie would play the piano. And after a while, somehow that just came out in the conversation. I'm sure he didn't mean to, to hurt me or offend me, but I'm still obviously carrying it around with me. And so some of you are thinking, you know, I just don't have the ability to sing, all right? But that is not a barrier. That should, that's not a, a defensible excuse to, to get you out of worshiping the Lord with song. Think about this too. This isn't necessarily something you naturally do, okay? This is something that you do when you're filled with the Spirit and the Spirit is controlling you and not necessarily uh, yourself. It's not as if you're just totally out of control, but the Spirit is leading you. The Spirit is urging you to do this, right? And so just think about as we the analogy that is used, okay? Uh, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and so just think about, uh, you know, the, the drunk person that you see singing after the Red Sox game, and he's singing Sweet Caroline right, when the Red Sox win the World Series. Does, he, does that guy care if he's in tune? Does that guy care if his pitch is off a little bit? No, he's excited about this game, and he's a, a, a little bit, uh, he, he's gotten rid of some of his inhibitions because of the alcohol, and so he just begins to sing. That is no barrier. His, his inability to sing well is no barrier to him praising his Red Sox. And listen, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is going to urge you and lead you and prompt you to worship your Savior. And it doesn't matter if you don't sing well. Just don't be the one that breaks in a little too early and, and everybody hears you like, what is that? I've done that a few times, right? Uh, that's really bad. But just wait for everybody else and then blend your voices with, with theirs and sing to the Lord. Not only natural ability or inability, but what about natural disposition? Some of us just aren't singers. A person might say, I don't sing in church, but I don't sing love songs either. And, and I don't sing at sporting events. It's just not an emotional person. I don't express myself in that way. And so, you know, I don't think that I need to obey this command. But this, this is not true, again, of the spirit-filled person. You see, what we're talking about here is something not natural, it's something supernatural. The Spirit of God prompts this desire in your heart. So even if you don't sing about anything else, you ought to be led by the Spirit of God if you're filled by His Spirit to praise and sing to Him. You know, one of the, the passages that I love is Psalm 40. And when you experience the work of salvation, Psalm 40 says that, that He put a new song in my mouth. God puts a song in your heart. He puts a song in your mouth. When he saves you, when he redeems you, he puts a joy. Even if nothing else leads you to that level of joy and excitement to want to praise the Lord, listen, the, the work of, of salvation in your life, coming to know the Lord, will produce that kind of desire. Now let's just think about this analogy a little more. This, this drunken singing uh, as compared to spirit-filled singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody is the result of being spirit-filled, and being spirit-filled is analogous to being drunk with wine, but, but we want to know that while there are some similarities, yet there are vast differences between these two things. 
And so I just want to, to kind of highlight some of those. What, what is it that leads a person to sing? Well, it's, it's some kind of joy. And what happens with alcoholic beverages is that it produces a synthetic feeling of euphoria, of joy that is not real, it is not lasting. But what the Spirit of God does is give us a true joy, a true delight that leads us to want to sing. So if I were to tell you to imagine a, a room full of people and they're all enjoying each other's company, and they're even singing out loud because they're, they're so uninhibited. In this room, there's, there's a jubilant spirit. With their arms around each other, people are singing, even without musical accompaniment, and, and some of them are slightly off-key. This is a place of joy. It's a place of celebration and happiness. So as you're imagining that, I think if you're truthful, most of us may be imagining a situation in which some alcohol is involved, right? But because people don't tend to do that on, on their own. Maybe, maybe you're thinking about that, that bar where people have gathered together to watch their, their sports team play. And, and again, they're like uh, Kentucky fans and they're singing my old Kentucky home. They're, they're so excited about this. Maybe you're thinking about a family celebration, an anniversary party, or a wedding, or a birthday party. And after a few glasses of wine, right, people begin to dance and, and to sing along with the music. In both instances, what's happening there is there, there's something of joy. There's some kind of joy there, uh, uh, at least a hint or a shadow of it. But often that joy can be ever so shallow, can it? It's not real joy. It's, it's artificial. And so in that bar where everybody's so happy and they're singing together, my old Kentucky home, and they're, they're really, the, the second their team doesn't win the game, that all crumbles, right? And, and even at times there, there's rioting, people turning over cars, people acting in destructive way. That, that joy, or at least that supposed joy, there, that, that artificial joy is immediately evaporated because something didn't quite go right. Or you think about that family celebration, everybody's getting along so wonderful until the crazy uncle starts talking about the skeletons in the closet of that family and past offenses, or maybe he, he begins to talk about politics and, and immediately that spirit of joy that is there, it evaporates and people are angry and they're resentful and they're remembering all of the past hurts. So while there's an analogy between these two things, what we need to see is that the joy that the Spirit produces in our heart is a real joy. It's a true joy. It's a lasting joy. That, that kind of drink-induced joy is artificial and shallow. It's artificial because it's produced by a, a substance that just simply short-circuits your natural reasoning and, and thinking. It, it makes you feel joy even though you don't really have joy right? It's shallow because it's rooted in things that are ever so trivial. Like in the grand scheme of things, who wins this ball game is really not that important, is it? And it's shallow because it, it's simply a diversion from weightier things. Like we're able to kind of shut our minds off when we watch a ball game, right? We, we can stop thinking about the realities of our life for, for a minute and we can have a little bit of joy. But as soon as that's gone, we're right back to, to reality and that joy is gone. And as a result, that singing is gone as well. But when you're filled with the Spirit, 
This is a true joy. It's a real joy and it's a lasting joy. Spirit wrought joy is true joy. It isn't brought by a substance. It's brought by a person. And the Spirit doesn't just simply allow you to turn off part of your brain to produce a temporary feeling of euphoria. Instead, He brings you in to share in the joy of our triune God. It isn't, it isn't produced. The, the joy that the Spirit brings and the resulting singing that comes along with that, it isn't brought about by forgetting reality, is it? That's what a lot of joy is, like at sporting, sporting events. We just, it's, a, it's a pastime. It's something we turn off our minds from all the cares of this world and we just get engrossed in this game. But when it's over, we're right back to wherever our lives are. But the joy that the Spirit of God gives us is a true joy. It's a joy that doesn't ignore the realities of life. In fact, it's a joy that looks at all of the complexities and the difficulties of life in this fallen world but there's something truer that's going on that brings joy into your heart. So you can look at the evil and the wickedness of the world. You can look at the trials that you're in. You can understand and, and not shut your mind off from all the suffering that you've been through. And yet you know something is true that brings you a greater level of joy in spite of those things. And that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit produces this kind of praise. I wanted to spend a lot of time with that, but we'll move on to some of these other characteristics now. The Spirit produces others' edifying praise. The Spirit produces others' edifying praise. Look at verse 19 again, and you'll see where I'm, I'm getting this at. Addressing one another. The, the King James says, speaking to yourselves, but it doesn't mean you speaking to yourself. It's speaking to yourselves. It's, it's speaking to one another, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this praise is a praise that's intended to edify one another. You can sing at home by yourself. You can sit in your living room and play the guitar and sing. You can sit, turn the radio on and sing praises to the Lord. And, and I hope you do. And that is good. But the praise that this is talking about is a corporate kind of praise. It is all of us together addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is a call to corporate worship. What's so important about that? Why would Paul command us to sing together, to sing with one another and to one another? Aren't we really just worshiping God? We can do that alone. But, but no, there's, this is an others edifying kind of, of praise. Well, what we need to remember is this. We need to remember that when you're saved, and we've seen this in Ephesians, right? I hope you're remembering where we've been in the book of Ephesians. When you are saved, you are, not, you are united not only to Jesus Christ, but you are united to the body of Jesus Christ as well. You come not only into fellowship and union with, with our Lord, but you come into fellowship and union with each other. And, and so that's what's going on here. You could see this in chapter 2, verses 14 to, to 22, uh, where, where he says this. Let me just read this. In verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And then verse 19, so so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Chapter 3, verse 6 says also, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So listen, this morning, if you're a believer, there's a dimension of your faith that has to do with you and God. You're brought into union with God, with Jesus Christ through faith in him. Absolutely. But there's also there's also a, a horizontal uh, dimension to your faith. It isn't just about you and Jesus. When God brings you into fellowship with himself, he brings you into fellowship with himself and his people. And so you can't just be concerned about me and my individual faith. You're brought into union with with each other. And so one of the things that we see again in the book of Ephesians, and I'm not going to read the rest of these. You could look at Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 and then uh, verse 16 as well, is, is that one of the things that we do as members of the same body is that we seek to build each other up. We seek to edify each other. You see, you're not just concerned about your own faith and growing yourself, but you're also concerned or you should be concerned about helping others to grow in Christ. We're members of the same body and we're responsible to encourage and to edify one another and to build each other up into maturity in Christ. That's the kind of mindset that Paul has about the church and about our faith and what it means to be a Christian. So when he comes to this and he talks about singing, he doesn't say, hey, just get alone on a hillside and sing to the Lord, sing praises to the Lord. He he doesn't say, hey, go home and sit in your living room by yourself and lift your voice and praise to the Lord. No, he says, address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing to the Lord. We praise the Lord. That's the direction we're going to see in just a minute. But but there's a there's a horizontal dimension to our singing as well in that we are encouraging each other in the faith. You know, there are few things that can encourage a heart like hearing other people sing. Isn't, isn't that true? I know that I've been to certain conferences or uh, in part of certain worship services and you have a crowd of people and they're all singing to the Lord. And it is such an encouragement to me. I know it's not about me. We're going to see that in a minute. It's not about me. They're not singing to me. They're not praising me. But I'm encouraged when I hear other people sing. It strengthens my faith and it makes me want to praise the Lord. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. We, we are to sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You could look at Colossians 3.16. This is a parallel passage to our passage. And this is what it says, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's to the Lord, but we're teaching and admonishing each other. So when we sing songs about persevering in the faith, when we sing songs about, you know, we've got trials and we're going through these things, but we're looking to the Lord. It's it's not only praise to the Lord, but it's edifying other people as well. We're teaching and admonishing with our singing. So when we sing, it it should encourage, it, it should encourage that brother who's struggling with sin 
to continue to fight for purity in his life. As he hears us sing together, I'm resolved no longer to linger charmed by the the world's delights. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, nobler, these have allured my sight. That should encourage, that should teach and admonish that brother who's struggling with sin that I need to allow my sight to be fixed on things that are higher and nobler and pursue those things. Our singing should encourage the sister who is battling with depression to remember that your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where my feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. Right? As we sing songs like that, they're praises to God but the sister who's struggling and who who feels like her feet are slipping underneath her should be encouraged and admonished to continue in the faith. It should encourage the one who is mourning loss and facing the death of a loved one to remember the hope of the resurrection as we sing, up from the grave he arose. Right? That should be an encouragement. We're praising God, but we're admonishing and encouraging each other. Our worship should be others edifying. The Spirit of God, thirdly this morning, produces a God-focused praise. It is a God-focused praise. So look at verse 19 again. So then you are no longer, well, I'm flip the page there. Let me go back to chapter 5, uh, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to each other? No, to the Lord, singing and making melody to the Lord. Our praise is to be focused to God. It's to be directed toward Him. We're not singing for our own good. We're not singing to ourselves. We're singing to the Lord. Sure, it edifies us, but it ought to be directed toward Him. Our our worship should be directed toward God. Our hearts and minds should be focused not on, do I like this song or not? This isn't really my style or not. No, our hearts and minds should be directed to the Lord. Whatever the style of worship, whatever kind of song we're singing, it ought to be directed to Him. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the things that said over and over again about the sacrifices that they would bring, the worship that they would bring to God was that it was pleasing or that it was not pleasing to the Lord. The most important thing about what we do here in the mornings when we worship, and we we worship in many ways through preaching, through giving, through singing, but the most important thing, the most essential thing about what we're doing is God pleased with what we're doing here. Not, is this my style? Did I like that song or not like that style? You know, any of those kind of concerns. I'm not saying that those things don't matter at all or that they're completely irrelevant. But the most important thing is whether or not the Lord is pleased with our worship. It needs to be directed toward Him. Sure, worship should encourage you, but it isn't finally about you. It's about Him. And I'm afraid that in the modern church, we have made worship all about the worshipers and not the one whom we are worshiping. It's such a sad thing. Over the past 30 or 40 years, we've experienced what some some people have called worship wars. Worship wars. What in the world? You know, it's people that are saying, well, I want this style in the church. And people saying, well, I like this style of music in the church. And and I can't tell you the, the thousands of churches who have split 
over that very issue, right? We want contemporary and, 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 and we want, you know, the old hymns. And so, well, let's just split and, and new churches have formed all based upon my personal preference, right? Even churches that don't split, sometimes they do a contemporary service and a, and a, and a, a hymn service. And so you've got two churches meeting in one building, right? They're dividing. They just haven't, they haven't split the church, but they've divided into two churches essentially, right? And what are the, what is the driving force behind all of that? It's all about me. It's all about my preferences, about my style and what I want. But worship is to be directed to God. It's not about us. I can say that worship wars, if there is any real such thing as that, is something of, of demonic origin. I had one pastor, I thought really well, somebody was leaving the church, and they said to the pastor, you know, I really didn't care for the worship today. I said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. Right? We just need to keep that in mind. We're not here for ourselves. We are here to worship the Lord. Another application of this is that because worship is to the Lord, worship should not be a performance. Just like you shouldn't be focused on yourself, we, we don't want to unduly be focused on other people as well. Right? Uh, now, the reality is Psalm 33.3 says that we should play skillfully to the Lord. And, and man, we, we want people who can sing well leading us. You don't want me leading you, okay? That would not be playing skillfully to the Lord. All right, you don't want me trying to play an instrument. We, we thank God for Daniel and for Bobby and all those who take part in, in leading us, and they do well. They, they play skillfully, right? But if we walk away, if we walk away from singing and praising, thinking, man, the band is great, Aren't they? Our worship team. The musicians are awesome. The lights, they, that was just glorious. What, what a magnificent praise team. Then you've missed the point, right? And, and unfortunately, that's so often what people are looking for when, when they're considering churches. Is like, how good is the worship team, right? That's the wrong focus. We should walk away from worshiping God thinking, our God is great. His grace is awesome. His holiness is glorious. God is magnificent. That should be the response of worshiping God, not to think about human beings and their, their skill level. Another thing that I think this implies, if our worship is to God, it means that, that content matters. The words that we're saying really matter. And not all hymns are equal. Not all worship songs are equal. Some of them are good. Some of them are heretical. And some of them are just so-so, right? Jesus said that, that God is seeking those who would worship Him and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. When we worship God, if we're truly worshiping God, the things that we're saying about God, they better be true or God's not receiving Worship, right? If they're, if they're not true. If we sing songs that are light on truth about God, they bring Him little glory. And there are scores and scores of worship songs that are what we might call worship light. Right? There's a little bit of truth. I, I think that's true, right? That, that's some truth there. We, we could worship God, but man, there are other songs that are rich and deep and strong with a lot of truth about God. Those are the kinds of songs we ought to be singing. Songs sometimes can be ambiguous and at best are not clear about 
about God, who he is or what he's done. Sometimes songs can be too focused on on man, too focused on us and not on God. We should sing a lot of songs that are focused on the Lord and that are speaking about God and who God is and what God has done. And we should sing very few songs that, that are speaking about us. Those aren't altogether wrong, but, but the, the emphasis should be with, with God. And then some songs are simply in error about, about God. Fourthly, we see this morning that, that the Spirit produces authentic praise. It's, again, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In the Bible, your heart is that inner part of who you are. It's the, the essence, the core of your being. So I'll just simply say this. In our worship, it ought to be coming from uh, internally. It, it ought to be coming from our heart. It, it, in other words, worship should not just be mere externalism, right? Just formality. Like you can gather and you can sing songs and God receives no glory because your heart is not praising God. You can recite these words, but if your heart is detached from these things, that's not genuine and authentic worship. God desires for us to worship him from our heart. Psalm 86, 12 says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. We need to worship the Lord authentically. Sometimes what this means is that we need to prepare for worship. We need to prepare to worship, prepare our hearts and minds. Listen, if we want to burn with passion in our worship of him, then we need to begin with the kindling of his word and prayer. If you just show up tired and exhausted, overrun, and you've gotten every minute out of Saturday night that you can get out doing the things of this world, and you come in and just fall into the pew, and your thoughts have not been on God, you have not been praying to God, you have not been reading His Word, you have not been thinking about God, listen, your worship is not probably going to be coming from your heart. It's going to be externalism. It's going to be formality. I'm going to sing because we sing, and that's what we do, and so I'm going to sing, but, but it's not coming from here. You need to prepare yourself to worship God, because it's a worship that comes from our hearts. And we should rid ourselves of anything that makes us hypocritical. It's a dangerous thing to be praising the Lord with your lips, all the while you're running away from him and dishonoring him with your life. All throughout the Old Testament, God says about Israel's worship, I don't even want it. Don't bring sacrifices to me. Don't do these things when you aren't living for me, when you're not obeying my commands, when you're not doing the things that I command you. Don't come into the temple. Don't come in and offer sacrifices when your heart is far from me. Right? That's what Jesus said. These people honors me with their lip, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So we need to be sure that we are ridding ourselves of any sin in our life so that our our worship can be authentic. The Spirit also produces thanksgiving praise. Thanksgiving praise. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. And I'll just simply say on this point that our, our praise really is a response to what God has done for us. It's a response to who God is and a response to what God has done for us. 
Psalm 105 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. When we praise God, simply what we're doing is thanking him. We're thanking him for what he's done for us. We're praising him for Christ. We're praising him for giving his only begotten son that we might be saved, that we might have eternal life. We're praising him for his creation of us. We're praising him that he sustains our life. We're we're praising him that he's justified us and declared us righteous. We're, We're praising him that he continues to offer and grant to us forgiveness again and again and again when we sin. And so we have much to thank God for. Spirit, the Spirit produces thanksgiving praise. Finally, the Spirit produces trial-overcoming praise. Trial-overcoming praise. And where I'm getting this from is verse 20. Again, giving thanks when? Always. For the good things, right? No, for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. So you think, well, maybe... You know, I'm struggling to praise the Lord. I know I'm commanded to praise the Lord here. I'm pra- I'm commanded to sing to the Lord. But man, I've been through trials. I've had cancer. Or I've lost my job. Or I'm, I'm struggling with depression. Or I've, my marriage is struggling. Or this or that or what, whatever. But he says here, give thanks always and for everything. Our praise doesn't fade because our circumstances are bad. When we understand that God is in control of all things and that, as Romans 8.28 says, that he's working everything out for our good, that he's conforming us to the image of his son, our praise should never end, right? It doesn't end when you have a bad day. So whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might be led to praise you. God, forgive us that so often our our worship is focused on ourselves, on our preferences. We're, We're focused on whether we like a song or not, and our hearts are not lifted to worship you. Forgive us that our our worship is often so hypocritical, Lord. We're all sinners and we we struggle with sin and then we come to worship you. We're thankful for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and, and makes our worship acceptable to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this work in our heart and in our church. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.